from Dragon360, this is Digital Banter, a podcast focused on modern marketing tactics and driving real business results. And now, here are your hosts, James and Zach. What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet again another episode of Digital Banter. As always, I'm Zach. With me, of course, is my co-host, James. For the second week in a row, we have another guest. Um, I don't know how we've gotten so lucky. Uh, Last week we had a guest. This week we have Dragon360's CEO, president, all around kind of just badass, Mr. Andy. Andy, you have been trying to get on this podcast for weeks. Finally let you in. Uh, James said it's it's time. Time to get you in here. Uh, James, please give us a better introduction. I don't think a better introduction is needed. Andy's the CEO of our company, our boss. He lets us do this podcast and uh, interested to see what he has to say on our topic today, which is the H2 realignment, the the dreaded second half of the year. What didn't we do right in the first half of the year? Transition into what should we do going into Q's two or three and four. Yeah, and a lot has happened in 2022, and especially in this, you could argue, end of 2021 to beginning of 2020, which is why we really kind of wanted to focus in on this, really discuss what's happening in the world around us, how that's affecting multiple industries, and not even just industries, but just marketing in general, and how you have to position and align your business, and really look at what's moving forward. But then also taking a look at what was working in 2021. That is not going to work in today's present day. So without further ado, Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Longtime listener, first time caller. Pleasure Woo-hoo! to be here. I long, love it. long waiting list to join, but pleasure to be here and talk about this topic. Something Absolutely. that uh, near and dear to my heart for uh, a while with strategy and things like that, especially <clears throat> the changing landscape of digital this year compared to the last two years, which have gone through pandemic then you have a huge growth spurt then you have scalable growth well wait it's not scalable now we have a recession how do we re-pivot and realign because to james's point our marketing isn't working sales isn't closing what do we got to do to make things happen for sure no and you know before we really get into the nitty-gritty and there's a lot to cover and this might be a podcast that it could set the record for our longest one because there really is a lot to get into andy i would love to just get in you know from a very just you know basic level 2021 to now we are going into right H2. In your mind, how have things gone? Um, if you were to kind of sum it up real quick, how would you position it? What are businesses seeing right now across the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think industry-wise, it really depends on what you operate in, right? If you were in services, tourism, hospitality, 2020 pandemic, I mean, you were just trying to stay afloat. Versus B2B tech, if you had anything that's cloud-based, you were probably on a great trajectory to grow your organization. The problem is everybody got used to that. There was no longer necessarily a need for what you offered unless you were creating demand to create new customers. And I think that's where we're landing today with everything that's happening economically. And also just to backtrack, what those 2020 strategies were built upon. They were built off of potentially flawed data. And they were also built off of this assumption that marketing and sales are going to keep operating at this 
you know, method that's going to sell itself. I know James talks about car dealerships and the ability for cars just to sell themselves without having a, a salesperson. Chances are a lot of that was happening in the various industries that, you know, we focus on with our clients, especially on the B2B side of things. So I think there's that aspect of things that led to a flawed 2022 strategy in some regards. And you hit this inflection point of maybe things are working, maybe they aren't as organizations. I mean, that's kind of what I've been trying to solicit out of my network. Kind of how do you how do you look at H2? What are the pivot points? A lot of it is how do we align better with sales? How do we align to hit those MQL targets, those growth targets, things like that? And <clears throat> I think it really comes back to well, what were you doing before the pandemic? What was working? What's not? And at the end of the day, are you actually creating demand for your customers to become customers of your of your organization? If you're not creating growth opportunities for your customers and your brand, then why are you in business? For sure. And you really, uh, you kind of, you lightly touched on it and where I would love for this to go. So thank you for that. Um, is ultimately, if you are any sort of someone who's been, any part of spend any time on LinkedIn and you could even argue some other professional networks online or even just in, you know, there's a lot of those business groups that meet in the mornings, right? Network in action, BNI, all of these, right? At the end of the day, the biggest looming question is, can we afford this? Where do we need to cut costs? And if you've any sort of paid attention in, let's say, especially the tech and SaaS world, there's been a lot of layoffs. And so, a lot of what a lot of people are focused on, a lot of businesses, even industries in general, are where are we cutting costs for you know end of quarter two, going into quarter three, potentially planning for quarter four, potentially even FY23, right? At the end of the day, you're planning ahead. And so, you know, is this something, you know, James, please feel free to hop in here. Are you seeing this as well as much as I am? Is this very real to everyone else? Yeah, I think the the big thing that's different in comparison to any other planning time period is that we are, I mean, it's pretty obvious that we're entering a recession. Like we've seen the tech layoffs and later on in the podcast, I'll go through really what my expectations are. But I think, again, to take a step back a little bit, I personally am not a fan of planning times of year. I honestly, for the most part, think they're a a giant waste of time. Like I, I'm not a big fan of realignments, repositioning, whatever, right? It's, you know, marketing strategy in general should just be an evolving process where you are continually learning and adjusting as you go. There should never really be a position where you're stepping back and saying like, oh, hey, we've been running this program for the entire year and it didn't work. So we're going to cut that this year and we're going to invest and try in something new. A true marketing budget should always have a segment that's for set aside for testing. You have your areas that you know are work all the time that you think of it as like you invest the most in what you know it works. You have some stuff that's in the growth stage and then you have your testing budget. As long as you have like that philosophy in your marketing strategy, you shouldn't have to be, oh, it's November. What are we going to do for next year, Right. Um, I think a lot of that comes from corporate budgets and how they align budgets and change budgets. But at the end of the day, like your strategy shouldn't really change. You should just be focusing, continue to focus on what's working and continue to test and learn and try new things. And as those things fail, whatever test period you give it, that stuff turns over. It happens. That's how we learn. But this year is is definitely different because of 
I mean, the economy is different. There, in most industries right now, there's a declining demand, especially in some of the in the B two B space that we're in. Uh, demand is declining. Competition is staying the same. The cost to acquire those customers is going to go up because things are more competitive, right? Less demand, same amount of competition. Things are changing. That and that's where I think the re- realignment going into the second half of the year is more important. Honestly, I feel like this is more important than a 2023 planning. I mean, we don't, we don't know what direction the economy is going to take quite yet, but um, it, it definitely should be interesting. I think there's also just leading indicators that are leading to that, right? So like just some of the people that I follow on LinkedIn and have seen kind of showing out studies about CPMs dropping across networks, something along the lines of like 40% of advertisers are pulling out of LinkedIn ads. It's like, okay, so you're you're reducing your costs in theory. The tagline that I saw in one of those posts was like, marketers' budgets are getting slaughtered. Well, okay, but is now the time to really be slaughtering your budget or is now the time to be reinvesting for things that are going to have maybe not as much short-term opportunity for you, but long-term growth that's scalable, that wasn't scalable over the last two years because it was just ad hoc growth that was just supported by economic conditions rather than making your marketing dollars actually work for you. Absolutely. And that kind of leads to really almost one of our first entry points in this in this conversation. Should you focus on creating demand or should you just focus on capturing the lead as they come? Right. And that's a I think that's a question that James and I have also been trying to answer through a lot of our other podcasts is, is it about creating demand or are you just trying to get someone to fill out a form? Right. And, and really, to your point, and Andy, we, you know, I'd love to expand on this more. Um, creating demand is where you need to be right now. Right. You need to be in the forefront. You need to be um, like you said, don't cut your budgets, maybe realign to where is this going? Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. There's less competitors and there's more competitors. Sorry. Equal amount of competitors in the space, less demand. So you're all fighting for the same demand. If you're capturing demand, if you're looking to for long-term growth right now, you're going to, that's going to pay off because that's where advertisers are cutting. Right. Yeah. You're to your point, Zach, you need a good mix of create and capture budget. Right. But really, identifying those areas where you're capturing customers that you wouldn't have captured through any other means. Branded search is a great example there. Why am I going to waste my dollars on branded search when they're just going to come to me naturally? And investing smartly in the capture channels, but really investing more heavily in the creation channels, right? Paid social, dark social, those areas of opportunity that exist out there where your ICPs and your markets live and creating those conversations and those touch points that may not necessarily drive Results firsthand, right? And over the next, let's say, four weeks, but over the course of the next six months, right? Which is what H2 is all about, the long game. Yep. They may provide you with fantastic value over that course of time, especially if your cycle, if your sales cycle is three to six months to close as is. Create the opportunities today, and you're going to have a better Q4 than just waiting until Q4 and that 2023 planning session that's just going to eventually cycle back to it. So it's a good mix of creation and capture that has to happen. I wouldn't say abandon capture entirely, but be smart with your investment dollars on the capture side to take advantage of those low-hanging fruit channels and opportunities that exist out there, of capturing people that are already brand aware, that are already in the buying stages. Maybe they're in a market that the economy inflation isn't affecting them as much as others. 
and invest heavily in the creation side of things because that's where you're going to have the best impact because of those lower CPMs, because of those lower competition levels compared to those that are going to be investing heavily in search, right? Search is a capture channel. You're going to see probably an increase in investment there unless really a brand's marketing budget is absolutely getting slaughtered. Yeah, and that actually brings up a good point. You're talking about, you know, budgets getting slaughtered, but we touched on as well, layoffs are happening. And so the overlooming question I think that's being posed across LinkedIn from multiple, this, uh, what's it called, sectors, there's, I mean, I've seen people all the way from retail all the way to SaaS talking about this, is who should you cut, your sales or marketing, right? And it goes back to that question of, yeah, a salesperson, they can do a cold call, well, at least they should be able to do a cold call. They should be able to do email touch points, minor things that actually a marketing team helps with. But at the end of the day, is it actually effective to cut your marketing team and let sales do it? And this is, you know, there's, it's hard to say there's a right or wrong answer here because there's points on both sides. James, Andy, I'd love to get your opinion on this because it's a very looming topic right now that, that's pretty hot right now that's debating <laughs> everywhere I look. I mean, to kick it off first, you know, we hope that nobody gets cut, right? Oh, like sure. sales, sales and marketing, one team, one dream, right? Um, but there's really two different business philosophies. So like if you hire a business development rep, they have the ability to do all, they're basically going out and creating demand for themselves. But I think what is significantly different on the sales time, sales side compared to the marketing side is the the cost to run at scale, where marketing is a department that's easier to run at scale versus an SDR team, which is more difficult to run at scale. I mean, there's so much that goes into it too. Like, SDR reps are commission-based, marketing people are usually salary. So that's probably why you see more cuts on the marketing side. Um, I, I mean, it, it really is a toss-up. I <laughs> I would look at oper- some operational costs and things like that first because you know I think that marketing and sales run businesses at the end of the day. Product, marketing, and sales, that, that's a business summed up in, in one sentence. But I don't know. Like I said, I... <laughs> Hopefully nobody gets cut, but like I said, if, if it's probably easier to scale things on the marketing side. I think just to take that one step further, right? So as a business owner, I have to look at the P&L, but I also have to project out costs, both operational costs and expenses that you can't plan for. So if that profit line and that net income piece of things on the P&L is looking south, then I have to make changes. I have to make investments that are going to lead to the long-term success of the company, not just one down month. So if I'm looking at it from that perspective, I have to also look at it through the lens of, okay, as a business owner, sales, right? Sales in a name and word alone suggests short-term impact to the bottom line. But if I have a product that I can sell without having sales involved, and really they're acting more as account executives that just basically facilitate the transaction rather than creating new opportunities for me, then I have to look at it through the lens of, is the entire sales staff necessary? And from an operational workflow perspective, are they being put into the responsibilities and positions of success that are going to ultimately elevate the growth of the bottom line? Or are they just kind of waiting for marketing to hand them leads, which we've seen in a variety of our clients over the years, and then they're going to hop on them. If they're just kind of sandbagging it in that respect, right? I have to question, where am I going to invest my dollars that I've now been kind of uh, reduced to an effect because of the long-term plan that has to take take action. 
And in that case, right, removing the connotation behind the word sales and looking at it through the lens of what is my product, what is the purpose of marketing and sales, and how does that actually impact the growth of my brand through the conversion of demand into capture, into nurturing, and ultimately customer acquisition. I'm probably going to invest more heavily in marketing, even though I might eat it on the front end in theory, because sales, sales in air quotes, isn't happening as quickly. And that all goes back to, okay, not getting kind of caught up in attribution data, getting sidetracked by things where sales can ultimately say, yeah, I touched that account. But in reality, they got handed a, they got handed a hot lead and all they had to do was do the phone call and it sold itself. If I can automate that or if I can look at operational workflows that make that transaction, that conversation much more seamless, in reality, I save myself dollars because now I have salespeople that are in much more successful positions as far as their responsibilities are concerned. And I have cost savings both in time and money that I can invest in marketing that's ultimately going to fuel the entire pipeline. So it all comes back to that net income, that P&L, and not getting, cost, not getting caught up in words, but also data that might be skewed. A big part of this is gut decisions at the end of the day, too. You made a great example of, you know, salespeople taking credit for stuff that marketing is driven. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, we're all marketers here and we're going to have a marketing heavy philosophy, but that happens both ways 100% of the time. Um, I mean, we've done our fair share of like shitting on some ABM strategies recently. And I think that that's another example, right? Oh, yeah, look, our ABM advertising touched all of our accounts. I'm like, yeah, well, you pay to touch all those accounts. It doesn't mean that like ABM drove that sale or convinced them to make the decision. I mean, there's a, we, we've talked about incrementality testing and all of the, the different ways you can get around this, but the, that, that age old question of like, would we have gotten that anyways? And that's where you, you really have to, you really do have to focus on, on what do you think drove the demand at the end of the day? And that comes from the, how did you hear about us forms, the, the qualitative information that goes into it rather than focusing on Google Analytics last touch attribution or the opinion of your salesperson on whether or not they're the one who created that deal. Um, So we do need to be fair in these scenarios. Yeah. So let me just add one more point here. And by no means am I advocating for layoffs like you guys kind of prefaced. I don't want to see anybody kicked to the curb ever. Like that's just a philosophy of mine ethically and personally. I will say, though, and this is based off an example that I've seen historically, typically salespeople are one of the highest compensated people, which works if your compensation package is heavily based off commissions and actually performance-based results. Mm -hmm. I've seen it for a couple of clients, one of which was international. They were based out of, uh, I think, the UK. Their salespeople were making a ton of money, and there was very little uh, need for the commission. There was no incentive to them kind of doing and, and making the moves to, to facilitate growth for the organization. So if that's how your compensation package is structured today, now may, may be a time. Now, I'm not saying you can go back and say, no, sorry, we're giving you a 50% pay cut. Like, that's just not going to work <laughs> in most situations. But what I will say is be creative about what is the commission structure that's in place? And is there an incentivization that you can provide with higher commission over the next three to six months? where you actually are incentivizing that collaboration to happen with marketing and you're ultimately one team, one dream driving growth for the brand. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no. So that's definitely a part of it. At the end of the day, right, you as the business owner or let's say operations manager, whoever position you are, that you're put in this awful position in the first place. 
it, you really have to look at a lot of avenues. And, and this is why I prefaced it. There's no right answer as well as there sometimes isn't always a wrong answer either. Right. And sometimes maybe the answer is take your best performers on both sides, put them together and cross train. Right. If, if they're good at one thing, why not have them try and do something else? Right. They may not excel at this new thing, but at least they're, you know, again, it goes back to that philosophy, one team, one dream. Now, back to another looming thing that we've brought up a couple times is marketing budgets being cut. And a lot of the time, those cuts are coming from, you know, top down, right? All the way up to either a controller or a CFO of some level. Um, and we really have a major philosophy here that we've we've talked about with clients. Uh, we've talked in, you know, in our own team meetings. But don't let the CFO make marketing decisions, right? At the end of the day, all they're looking at is raw numbers. Um, so, you know, Andy, you as a CEO, and we don't necessarily have a direct CFO, so you kind of act as almost multiple parties here. This is something that's very close to you, right? Where do we invest money? Um, so on that level, I would love to get your perspective of, yes, we are looking at these numbers, but why shouldn't a CFO make these decisions? Because a CFO is not a marketer. What? That's why they should not be making these decisions. And I am going through a case right now working with one of the clients that I have a direct relationship with where there have been budget cuts. There's also been a changeover in leadership with strategy realignments to our benefit working towards this to create capture nurturing aspect of things. Um, with that in mind, our direct contacts and the point of contacts that we work with on the client side have proactively said, we're not going to let finance dictate what we're doing here. We need to come to them with a plan and our our the point person over there, our director of digital has been very upfront with her team about doing that, that we're going to go to them with a plan. They're not going to make the decisions for us because at the end of the day, we're the ones that are in the trenches. We're the ones that know what's working, what's not. And there's a reason that they've hired and built out the department and they've hired and, and, and retained a consultancy. There's no other reason why you, you hire people besides the smarts and skills that they bring to the table and relying on those as a leader Right, delegating those responsibilities and and kind of uplifting those individuals to make the informed decisions based off of why I hired you, the impact that we're having, and as one team, one dream, not just in marketing and sales, but across the organization. How are we collectively going to drive growth for the brand? For sure. No, that's awesome. So I guess at this point, um, how do you plan for all these things going on, all these changes that we're potentially talking about? And I know we're going to go way in depth. But at the end of the day, how do we plan? How do we create a plan? And really, what is the plan, in your opinion? So but I know that's a huge question here. And Andy, I need you to break this down for every person that listens to this this podcast. Individual plans for everybody. That's the goal here. Individual. Custom made, not, custom. Co not cookie cutter, right? Exactly. We are not, tailored to their eyes. We are not building a website here. Right, tailored to their ICP, one-to-one -one ABM, right? Personalized okay. content across the entire journey. Not, Not dynamic, hard. because dynamic works, right? Yeah. Just marketing. Right, it's just marketing. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on, whether it's on social media or physically affecting your business. Either way, people are seeing, very known. And even to the level of an employee, there might be some work in a lot of industries including even marketing agencies, right? When clients have to adjust, so do the agencies that help them or marketing teams that help them. So there's a lot of these looming issues. So we want to kind of take this negative connotation that we've 
kind of really hit the ground running with the beginning of this and move towards how do we find a happy medium, a happy resolution? How do we get through this? How do we make it to the other side of this, right? Recessions happen. It's just the native way of how a world works. And there's a lot of outside factors that affect a lot of things that maybe it shouldn't, maybe it should. But there's always a brighter end of the tunnel, right? And so how do we get there? We've broken it down into really a couple key areas. And to keep it simple, um, I think we'll kind of just outline them and then get into them, right? So we broke it down and really into five different things. One, clean up your data. Two, it's going back to that, what we've been talking about, demand gen, capturing, nurturing, um, where should we be spending? Um, number three is don't stop innovating. Uh, we haven't touched on that one too much, but I think it's a key one that we'll get to. But then also remove the barriers um, as well as realign your messaging. So let's just start at the top, right? Clean up your data. Sounds easy. It's not all the time, especially with where you're standing right now. Um, so James, I know this is something, data is something you're super passionate about. And actually, Andy, so are you. I think you guys love data, which is awesome. But there's a difference between qualitative and quantitative. And really, how do you take that, each one approach? And how do you clean up your data for your, for your entire company to make decisions? So, yeah, I mean, this comes, and Andy, I think, will probably dive into this a little bit better than I can. But um, from the qualitative side, you know, this goes back to leading into the next point around demand capture, demand gen versus, versus nurturing. A lot of the things that we've talked about in the past, attribution software being flawed, heavily focused on demand capture activities. There, so we're talking about Google Analytics, Google Ad Pixels, like what's what's driving conversion at the end of the day in all of your ad accounts, which is probably like the easiest thing to sort. Make sure that stuff's working. Make sure it aligns with some of the data that you're seeing on the back end. Making sure your HubSpot and Salesforce data is also clean. You have clean campaign structure. This is where we're starting to move into, and we've talked about this before in our attribution conversation, Use the ad pixels for deciding what how your advertising campaigns are performing. Use Salesforce HubSpot to determine what campaign concepts are performing, what content is performing. You know, that's it's a heavy last click attribution model. It's but it has like the multi-touch layers into it as well. But making sure that that's clean so you know, hey, like this type of content is working well for us. We can invest more in that area. And then so those are your two like quantitative areas where qualitative is going to focus more on taking a look at social engagement. Like what are people saying? Do they like your ads? Are they, are they all from, you can't just throw all data in a spreadsheet and make a decision at the end of the day, right? You could get a hundred likes in one campaign or a hundred engagements in one campaign and find out that they went through a bot farm in India or something like that. Right. And making sure that you are doing those qualitative analysis so you can make decisions based off of it because from the how did you hear about us forms organizing that getting a a, a good idea of what's dr driving demand at the end of the day social engagement what content are you putting out there that users are liking uh salesforce hubspot how is that content converting ad campaigns what audiences are you resonating with the mess what audiences are driving the most conversion again using each of the platforms for what it's good for but uh, I think the issue that we run into more times than I don't want to say more times than not, but a lot of times when we intake new accounts or, or new brands that we work with, a lot of the stuff is often a mess. Just the fact that like 
but you have no HubSpot campaign set up. You're using different tracking parameters. Uh, your UTMs have CPC, PPC, EPC. I don't know. They make up stuff sometimes, I swear. Um, no, this is but, very real. This is what we're seeing literally yesterday. Or not yesterday, it was Sunday. Yesterday being our last meeting that we were on, right? HubSpot and Salesforce dominate I would argue in this industry and a lot of our clients, they utilize one or the other on some level. And we notice that they have it, but they're not using it and slash or there's nothing organized. So why have it right? They can be very useful tools to determine what is and what isn't working. Um, and I think that's there. And I would love Andy, before we move on here to, for you to kind of share as well. Um, but the HubSpot Salesforce, I think is the most relatable thing for most businesses. Yeah, so I'm going to build off of what James was talking about, because I think in a microcosm that kind of gives some examples, channeling my inner Sophia Petrillo from the Golden Girls, picture it, sales and marketing at B2B in 2022, H2, full alignment, everybody's using the same metrics, everybody's got the same data that's sharing back and forth, there's qualitative information, there's quantitative information, everybody's working in harmony, and guess what, the brand's growing, how do you get there, structured, clean data. Right. James is talking about use cases, attribution, using platforms for what they're built for. Absolutely. All of that is 150% true. But what it boils up to is structured, clean data. And I would argue that before you even kind of approach that, what are the objectives? Right. What are you trying to achieve? A couple of them. Number one, what's working, what's not. Right. And I'm not talking about going down the rabbit hole of attribution, but purely qualitatively, what's working, what's not. Do you have the systems and the infrastructure in place to actually understand that? Number two, what are your unique selling propositions? And are they actually that? Are you just selling time and money savings? Or what is your true validated USPs? If you're not validating USPs through customer research surveys and then testing those messages in the market in which you're marketing, do it tomorrow. Validate and confirm that the USPs that you have been pushing for the last six months and hitting this point of realignment need are actually the ones that are going to drive business. And then thirdly, what are the use cases for structured, clean data? First-party data segments that you're going to use in paid media, different ABM efforts that you could use in paid and organic media and outreach and outbound by sales, right? Understanding what is the intake information that you need qualitatively. How did you hear about us? What's your marketing tech stack? And does our marketing tech stack build on top of that? Does it replace it? What's the integration aspect of things? What size business are you, right? And does that align to our ICP? What is the time in which you're looking to make a decision? Because if you're not making a decision for a year from now, and I have a prospect that's looking to make a decision the next three months, guess where my priority should change for marketing and sales? And ultimately, if sales is the individual receiving that information, what is the feedback loop to marketing to inform the strategic decision-making as it relates to those first-party audiences that need to be prioritized? from that budget investment perspective as we move into H2, right? That demand creation, capture, and nurturing kind of pie chart that we were just talking about. So, But all of that starts with clean data, getting rid of duplicate records, making sure that the right contacts roll up to the right accounts, you know, all of that that happens in Salesforce, making sure sales puts the right information into their records, and that information is actually relevant and necessary for everybody involved. And then structuring it, right? Making sure that the correct fields are set up within those records, those records and those fields pass through to HubSpot, Marketo, Eloqua, whatever the marketing tech stack that you're operating in is based off of. So that way 
you have a single source of truth probably in Salesforce, but that single source of truth disseminates same sources of truth through all of your tech stack. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, really what that allows you to do too, well, in a perfect world, your data is clean, right? You can honestly look in and dive into what's working, what's not working. And it goes back to that, the, what we were talking about earlier about where should you focus your budget, right? You're talking about your client is talking about, we're going to make a plan. Well, how do you make a plan? You look at raw data and as a team decide what direction you want to go. And if your data is, you know, in every which direction, I don't know how the hell you would do that efficiently or effectively. It's possible. It just won't happen in a timely manner. And so it brings back to this, this idea of really audience performance, right? You have all this data. What are you specifically looking at? If you have clean data, uh, Andy, James, what do you look at to make a decision of what's working? James, I know recently internally you've been talking a lot of, well, how, how are you being perceived in your, in your, you know, to your prospects, whether that is social engagement or comments or, um, physically word of mouth when talking to sales. You're talking about this feedback loop, Andy. Um, at the end of the day, what are some parameters you guys are looking at or instructing our clients of where should you spend money on? I mean, as far as the analysis goes, I don't want to say it's going to be a little bit all over the place. If, sure. there were, if there were a couple areas that I would focus on, I mean, it really comes down to audience, messaging, include messaging, include content campaigns like what what are what is what is what's the message that we're putting out there at the end of the day and is it resonating with our audience because th- those are like i mean that's marketing 101 is broken down into audience i don't say marketing marketing is the four p's promotion broken down into two things uh, is audience and um audience and messaging um and then honestly, like the other one that we talk about the four P's here is like product. Like this is more about product positioning. Where do you sit in the market? Do you have a unique selling point? Uh, I'm saying this because a lot of our clients, I, I do feel like struggle with trying to figure out what their market positioning is. Um, you know, we work with a lot of challenger brands who are challenging you know, leaders in the industry. And I feel like where we struggle a little bit is, you know, how do you start in a nation? How do you move yourself up to being a leader in the industry? Because you don't just go start out running competitive campaigns about against the the biggest dog in town, right? Like that's, that's not how you're going to drive demand at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, as far as clean data, data analysis, I, I think the ad platforms do a really good job of take a look at your ideal customer profile, map it to different personas. How are those, each of those personas performing? And those personas can be anywhere too. Like they can be in organic social groups. Paid is probably the easiest way to analyze that. But, um, you know, which audiences are you resonating with the best? You can look at social engagement conversion. I mean, there's a lot of different metrics that you can look at. Um, and then messaging, again, what message, like I always, I've been bringing this up a lot in clients to with clients lately. It's like, you know, we focus so much on conversion, conversion rate optimization. How do we drive more leads? How do we drive more leads? And nobody thinks to look back at like, oh, like, did people like the content that we're putting out? Like, do they engage with it? Do they like, do they, they actually, care. do they care? Yeah. Um, and that's where you know, that they'll tell. And the other thing too, is like, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll either tell you by not saying anything at all or 
they'll tell you by saying like, Hey, this is awesome. I loved X, Y, Z. I relate with this. Like, I mean, I think that that's a huge thing that like it's coming from the advertising space specifically, like read the comments and the ads, like, um, you know, that'll, that'll definitely tell you what's, what's working and what's not working, at least on the advertising front. Yeah. And there's one thing here that I think a lot of, you know, specifically James, you're talking about what we're looking at. There's a couple clients now that are just, and we talked about this a little bit last week. They are making content. They have blogs out the yin yang. They have these new ebooks, let's say white papers, and, and we're blasting them, right? But they have nothing. No one cares, right? You may have the next best piece of technology, but are you writing in a way that someone's going to look at it, right? And so what you really have to look at is. What is the content you're displaying to your audience? And I know we've touched on this multiple weeks in a row, James. You really just hit on it. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest one is, do they care? And you shouldn't take that person. If they don't care, take that, pivot, and do something else. I was just going to say that on the persona front, you know, an easier way to look at the data that might exist is looking at verticals, right? Size of organizations that have closed but also looking at your lifetime value, kind of mapping, especially if you're selling multiple products, right? If this is your intake product, what is the trajectory of where those customers typically upsell and cross-sell into naturally? And is there an opportunity to put a little bit more emphasis into that demand creation of the existing customers to accelerate the lifetime value upsell opportunities that exist? The, the reason I say is it might be easier to look at the vertical side of things is because in theory, that's data that's going to be readily available, right? It should be in your Salesforce. It should be in your sales notes versus the persona side of things, which can get extremely wishy-washy, right? Marketing Mary out there did convert on this and this and this. Who the hell is Marketing Mary? And why should I care about Marketing Mary? No, that's some bullshit persona that somebody created probably. And at the end of the day, that's not the tangible information that's going to drive decision-making. Um, so now we're talking about driving it, right? At this point, how do we drive this demand, Right. We've said it multiple times, demand gen, capture and nurturing. We've said it probably 20 times already. Um, and where should we be spending our money? Me, I'm a big social media advocate. And I think social is one of the biggest players right now for this driving demand, um, as opposed to just, as you mentioned earlier, is branded search where we should be putting our money? Should we invest more in retargeting, right? There's all these questions. That we're being asked quite a bit. People are talking about whether it's in our own client meetings or on social media. Now, driving demand is not always the easiest thing as well. And so if we break it down of where we really should focus on how do you drive this demand, it is on the social medias, the emerging channels, which we can get into a little bit more. Right. We said this before and we're going to get into it a little bit more is don't stop innovating. Are you on every social channel? Are you taking advantage of your creative and using it in an omni-channel way? Depending on your industry, maybe not every social channel is the right spot for you. When I'm talking about social channels, the more traditional ones we're talking, LinkedIn, Facebook, which you know, of course ties in Instagram and 99% of the cases, but then also YouTube. I think YouTube is one that a lot of people may loop more into the Google side of things, but really it's almost a social media of its own. I think the big thing here when we're talking about social, like demand gen, demand capture is the, the, the two, there's two goals, right? You're capturing people who are already searching for your products and services or nurture, and then there's nurturing, retargeting that piece as well. But 
again, those are going to be high return on that. They're going to, they're always going to look good, but there's always a question of did they convert anyways? But then there's the whole part, which, which I consider again, like real marketing at the end of the day is how do you go out and acquire new customers and educate current or, or educate the market, create a segment for yourself, create your market positioning, make them think of your brand associated with your category. That's, that's the hard part of marketing. That's the part of marketing that nobody wants to do. That's the part of marketing that always gets cut first because, I mean, it's not as easy to show a positive return on it. But at the end of the day, if that piece didn't exist, the capture piece would never exist, right? And you have to, you have to look at those hand in hand. And this is where we were talking about like shifting budgets, right? Like, the big recommendation here is if you are in a position where you have to shift budget, like we're expecting there's, there's going to be less demand for the next two quarters. Like that's just like the nature of how a recession works. I mean, I'll go through the, the, the full litany right now. The pandemic hit, things were really good for a lot of software companies, B2B companies, trajectory went through the roof. Investors invested a lot more money than they normally would because of aggressive growth from a lot of these different companies. That growth has now slowed down because of a variety of different factors. Investors are pulling out. They're not hitting the same growth targets. You know, things are not as good as they were at the end of last year. So Q1 earning reports came out. They said, hey, we're not making as much money as we did next last year. We need to cut money from some, right? But what's going to happen is it's like, Q2 has already happened. That's when we saw those cuts. Q3 is still going to be bad. I mean, we're talking about B2B here. It is July, August, September. September, I won't count. September is usually a pretty good month. But I mean, end June was a bad month. July, August, summer, Europe, going on vacation. Like, it's going to be worse. I, I tell everybody that now. It's going to be worse over the next quarter. So instead of trying to fudge money around trying to figure out how you can hit your targets that you set last year in this amazing growth year. Like you're not, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. It's going to be worse. Try, trying to capture a little bit more demand. I'm going to launch this competitor campaign and try to do something different. Like it's not going to work for you. What you should do is shift to those demand gen activities because you know, what's going to happen at some point. Business has to go on. Q4 is you're going to get that email from your CEO, your CFO going into Q4 saying like, hey, like, how can we end this quarter strong? I found a little bit more money. How can you use it? Right. Like that's exactly what's going to happen. And what you should have been doing for the last all of Q3 is focusing on, OK, how can we drive more awareness, more demand for these other companies for for sales that are going to happen? towards the end of the year. And that's through traditional prospecting channels rather than demand capture channels. And that's where social is a huge play. Absolutely. And I don't necessarily want to dig into, you know, what social is best for what, right? We don't need to go to that level here. Um, I think we've touched on that quite a bit already. I'll touch on a couple. So LinkedIn, 
LinkedIn is one that we talk about a lot because a lot of our clients in the B2B space, LinkedIn is super powerful because you have these communities. You have industry-specific targeting, job title targeting. You can layer in experience levels, right? I'm not going to go through every caveat there, but you can really nail down who your audience is to multiple different levels and do it through multiple different steps. And so at the end of the day, make sure... When you're trying to get in front of, don't just put something out there, right? At least make sure your people are there. And I think, Andy, you were um, somewhat ready to yell at me and get in on this conversation, right? And I think one of your biggest ones is use the channels for what they're good for. Don't try and reinvent the channel, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, James is talking about the four Ps, so let's talk about place, right? Uh Or as Dr. Dr. Alexander at King's College used to call it, distribution. Um, it was always my favorite professor there. Uh, use the channels for what they're good for, right? Your audience may not be on Facebook, might not be on Instagram, or it might be, but the targeting capabilities do not allow you to reach that audience effectively. Yep. So how do you leverage the capabilities of the channel and the platform to your best usage? You talk about, you mentioned retargeting before Zach, right? Retargeting only works if you're filling the retargeting pool. Right. So how do you use LinkedIn to fuel the audience that is now qualified, right? Because of your ICP, the targeting that exists over there that fuels the opportunities to re-engage your audience through retargeting mechanisms across TikTok, across Facebook and Instagram, across emerging channels like connected TV. Connected TV is not out of the box, a B2B playground. If you have a qualified audience though, that's visiting your site and your other channels, and you can actually market to those indirectly and directly through retargeting and then build a lookalike off of those models, you've inherently just created a new emerging channel that you can use for your brand that previously you would not have ever freaking used, right? It's how you leverage the capabilities of each channel against each other. And then also looking beyond the paid aspect of things, how can you use that data again, that qualitative data, those customer surveys, that customer feedback to inform, hey, how are you staying up to date? Where are you hearing about us? And ultimately define what communities and messaging, right, to use in those communities. They might be open communities like a LinkedIn group. They might be closed communities like P community, which is one that I belong to. Um, but you know, you want to know where you're going to save money immediately? Display. Stop running banners. When was the last time you bought from a banner ad? That wasn't retargeting, right? And that wasn't on Facebook and social. Probably not. You're running native ads, those like, hey, you might like kind of content ads, stop running them. Um, you know what ABM platforms like Terminus, Sixth Sense, Demandbase are built on? Banner ads, in addition to their tech stack that says, hey, you might have influenced these ads. Bullshit. You showed three impressions to an account and it closed. I bet those three impressions through a banner ad we're not as effective as three impressions in somebody's paid social feed because you're being more educational. You're being more upfront with the value you're providing in that copy versus the three lines of text that you have to go along with your ebook image in a banner ad. Yeah, so save your, save your money, invest it and reinvest it from the display campaigns that you're probably, you know, wasting away money in. I think that was a great point. The, the issue with display really is from the, Place, placement, yeah, is part of it, but like from a, a messaging perspective, it's really hard. Like you can't educate somebody based off of something that at this point people are trained to ignore. Um, I, I mean, I, do I think social might get there at some point? Maybe, but those those platforms are being 
way more innovative in how they display ads and serve ads through all of their different betas, different ad types that they're coming up with versus display has not changed since it changed. The the last time it changed is when they got rid of pop-ups because pop-ups became illegal. Like, I don't know if they're illegal, but (laughs) you get my point. Right. But you look at paid social and the argument was always reach, right? The argument is still there, but you look at innovations with audience networks, acquisitions, the LinkedIn audience network, now expanding the reach beyond the closed walls of LinkedIn itself, right? Facebook and Instagram between the acquisition of Instagram to the audience network, to stories, reels, et cetera. Paid social is those channels are following the playbook of display, but in a better way because of the way they are disseminating and distributing the information that a brand needs to get out there that's ultimately going to create the demand that then gets captured through the search campaigns that you're running. Sure. You know, a lot of people too with social is they never really know what direction to truly go. And and sometimes it does come down to testing, which goes back to the innovation thing we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But ultimately, there are some channels that are a little bit more innovative right now. They're merging, they're newer, especially in some of the industries that really we work with, you wouldn't necessarily think of, but really the top two, TikTok and, and really CTV in general. TikTok, a lot of people have this notion that it's just, you know, Gen Z playhouse of video. But at the end of the day, that's actually not true. And some of the biggest demographics on there are those that are between the ages of 25 to 45, which a lot of the time when you're in a business and you're targeting, those are pretty ripe contact age demographics you want to be going after. They're there for fun. I'm not saying put your whole strategy into TikTok. I'm not saying put your entire budget into a video of, I don't know, this is a dumb idea. I just imagined an ebook doing some TikTok dance. I'm not saying do that. But at the end of the day, it is a good area of where you can actually retarget, where you can, in another way, in a fun way, one, be creative, two, utilize video, which is dominating almost any channel at this point. Three, it's easy to digest because it's very short form. But then also, if you go into it with the notion of I'm there for branding just to stay on top of it, yeah, you're probably not going to see a direct return to TikTok. It's probably not going to lead you to that final sale. But it'll be an attribution factor in which I know I said the key word. James absolutely loves hearing that. But at the end of the day, that's also how you relate to CTV, right? A lot of people, when they think of just CTV, the first thing that comes to mind is how can I be on Hulu, right? How can I be on, I don't know, does Amazon Prime do ads? Amazon Prime, all of these things, right? There's all these different networks that are huge out there, but there's so much more to CTV, um, and Andy, I know you're a huge fan of, of CTV. We've been pushing it internally, trying to get more and more people to really take advantage of this amazing opportunity and open space out there. Um, what are some suggestions and of quick notion like I did for TikTok of, of CTV that they could get past the perception that CTV is regular TV? What? Right? It is it is digital. It is programmatic television. That's what CTV is. It's all about the audience. It's all about where they are and the messaging that you then convey to them through that audience-first mentality. That's what makes a difference with CTV. And I think just to build on top of that, the episodic targeting capabilities of not just TV commercials that build off of each other, but also the cross-channel opportunities between somebody that saw your ad and then doing something through Spotify as programmatic audio. Perfect example here. How many B2B brands out there are launching their own podcasts? (laughs) Not talking about you two guys here necessarily, but... (laughs) 
right? It's a marketing channel that they are endeavoring upon. Where I was going with this is obviously you're creating a podcast for a reason. You expect listenership. You expect that listenership most likely to be in your ICP. Therefore, that suggests they are on Spotify. They are on these audio platforms. Why wouldn't you then take that to the next level and start to think about how can I use programmatic audio campaigns to now serve up a more dedicated messaging layered in with USPs, things like that, in the same traditional way you would do radio ad, but in a more targeted manner because of an audience first mentality. One thing here, we talked about Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, some of the emerging CTV. There's really two things that you're trying to do and that's going to catch somebody. You want to be entertaining and educational. Like those are your, the goal of your ad in one of those platforms is to do one of the two, right? The education, the entertaining stuff is going to kind of stick that logo in the back of somebody's head. That's your, your brand awareness piece. And then the education piece is what did, you know, teaching them about your product. And in the B2B space, we talked about like video being huge because that is the best tactic for educating somebody, whether it's on YouTube, TikTok, CTV, um, going back to CTV, my, my, if I was to break it down into like two things and common misconceptions about CTV is like, there's two things that you can do that you can track it. Like you can see if somebody saw your ad and converted on your website. Number two, you can target pretty much any audience that you want. It could be a complex B2B audience targeting civil engineers or something like that. Like that, that audience is available. And I think that that's a big thing that a lot of advertisers or brands don't understand right now is that like, Oh, like we have this specialized niche that's TV. Like, what are we going to do show on the discovery channel? Like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Like we are going to get data from Oracle axiom new star where they've curated intent data for your industry based on whatever they have together. And we're going to use that for targeting. Like we're going to target people in your ICP. It's, I'm not going to say in the B2B space, it's as good as LinkedIn, but it's pretty, da- pretty darn good. I think that as you expand, like if you're, if you're doing something in YouTube, you're doing something in TikTok, you're doing something on Facebook, like there's no reason why you shouldn't try, try CTV. It's, CPMs, I think are even less than they are on LinkedIn. So like, it's a no brainer to me. Yeah. You talk about entertainment and educational. So those two things don't necessarily go synonymously with B2B marketing half the time. Everybody perceives B2B marketing as being lame, boring. It's all about the lead. It's all about MQL to SQL. But what if you could make B2B sexy, right? You've just crossed, if you just cross both of those off, educational and entertaining. I'm not talking about sexy in a prerogative way, but like in a way that actually instills entertainment while delivering education. And you talk about the need to test and learn, right? Now's the time to test and learn. Now's the time to innovate. Now's the time to explore those channels based off of audiences that you've hopefully cultivated up to this point and innovate against that with different messaging, different channels and platforms, repurposing content that you already have, just packaging it in a different way, right? And being disruptive and not being afraid of the fear of failure. Because guess what? If you fail, you you weren't on a good trajectory anyway. You're realigning for a reason. So you might as well go all out and or not. Be bold, be creative, and don't be afraid to fail. But go for it at the end of the day and make an impact and be that disruptor both in the market but in your own brand's organizational structure. Because at the end of the day, when you're successful, you're going to have a leg to stand on when it comes time to asking for more budget, 
asking for, hey, we're going to do this in 2023 because we proved this to be successful because we took 5% of our budget and dedicated to it because we didn't slash it just for the sake of the, the CFO saying, we got to cut budget. Great. We cut budget, but we also still kept that test and learn mentality within yep. that reduced budget. And so to make way for a lot of what you're talking about, you've already said cut display, right? Traditional display. Um, cut traditional display. In an essence, that almost says cut traditional ABM, right? And at the end of the day, should you cut search? If we're talking about being innovative and utilizing these social channels, should search even be a part of your strategy going forward and during this, let's say, innovative path forward? So I'm not suggesting that you cut ABM. Cut it all. Take scissors. Right? I'm suggesting you cut display as an ABM tactic, but I'm also suggesting that from an ABM traditional methodology, that's always, oh, move up the pyramid, right? Personalize as the accounts become fewer, things like that. Look, that's time consuming. How can you scale that? Look at it from a vertical perspective. Those are some things to consider. But also ABM is almost historically like, oh yeah, let's get in front of this account. Let's get in front of Wells Fargo and say, yeah, you want to buy this. You want to buy this. There is literally no understanding of whether that account has any idea of who you are, what they want, and whether there's any demand for what you offer within that account. So in reality, ABM should absolutely be a create demand tactic with more nuanced targeting. But at the end of the day, it's all coming down to creating demand in those brands that you want to be working with. That's what ABM should be about. So there's my uh, soapbox speech on ABM. James, do you want to take the search aspect of Zach's question? Yeah, sure. So on the search side, like anything in marketing, I'll say it depends, right? Um, I want an answer. Our audience <laughs> demands an answer. You can't handle the truth. So I'll, I'll, I'll walk through the what I mean by it depends, right? So I've talked a lot about how I hate when marketing budgets get boiled down to retargeting and branded search. There certainly is an aspect of branded search where you would have gotten that anyways. And hopefully at this point, you have an idea of roughly how much of that you would have gotten anyways. You can run incrementality studies, but I'll tell you typically it's between 50, uh, you would have gotten all of it except for 15 to 20%. So 15 to 20% of, sorry, 15 to, I'll give it 30% of your branded search, you may not have gotten any. But there's a lot of reasons why you would want to keep that. You have competitors bidding on your branded terms. If you're like competing with HubSpot, I mean, if you're HubSpot, if you do a Google search for HubSpot, you'll see 20 brands trying to steal market share from HubSpot. Do I think they're ever going to win that battle? No. But at the same time, you know, that if HubSpot was to stop bidding on their brand name, it would hurt them. Where I would focus Again, try to figure out where you sit. Do you have, do you need competition? Is there any unique special messaging that you need in your branded campaigns that makes you an exception to the rule? So point on branded search, there are exceptions to the rule. In most cases, yeah, I would probably pull back because there's no competition. If somebody jumps in, you'll have to, you'll have to play the game, unfortunately. Where I would focus is just on like high intent keywords, people who are searching for things in your category project management tools for marketing agencies, project like software for XYZ. You know, I would stay away from some of the higher in the funnel terms, the more generic terms. Those just don't do much, honestly. I think you can really pull back in search a lot in comparison to where a lot of brands are at right now. The days of 
testing new, like super optimizing your search campaigns to constantly adjusting bids, adding keywords, like negative, like a lot of the optimizations that we used to do in 2010 to try to get incremental impact, like all of those are done, honestly. Like what's happening now is Google's algorithm, the bidding algorithms are taking care of a lot of that for us or setting what our target is and we're able to figure it out. Is there still work to be done? Yeah, but you can really condense the budget in comparison to where you were before. I would make an argument for some of those aspects on branded search, right? So one of the points that might be brought up is, oh, we need more dedicated messaging. My devil's advocate question is, is well, why don't your organic metas and description, meta titles and descriptions match what that should be, right? Evaluate your SEO. Is it laden with USP, right? Is it laden and driven by something that's buyer-focused and intent-driven? Or is it super plain Jane, brand-oriented that nobody really cares about? You talk about content that nobody cares about, there's a prime example, making sure that your SEO, specifically the content that is being indexed and thrown in the SERPs, is aligned to your market. For sure. No, and that ties into a lot of what we talked about last week as well. So if you're really wanting to really dig into more of how should your SEO look like, what should you focus on on an SEO side, right? Take a listen to our last week's podcast because Anthony does a killer job of telling James and I to kick rocks, essentially, from our original SEO. Uh but both of them are going to be helpful, right? We definitely have more of a paid approach, a paid mindset, specifically even in this conversation, because a lot of the time people are looking at, hey, we're spending money. Is it bringing money back, right? And part of that we've been talking about a lot, and we've already hit on this quite a bit, um, is the innovation aspect, right? Don't kill your testing budgets. Don't be afraid to be a little daring. Think outside of the box. Focus on your messaging and your audience tests rather than also new channels, right? So if you don't feel comfortable, let's say going to TikTok, like we mentioned, as emerging, or maybe you don't, one, have the budget or at this time want to move towards a programmatic CTV avenue, that's fine. Let's say you are on LinkedIn. Break from the norm. Our own internal UX team member, Maddie, she used this, gosh, probably six months ago. She said banner blindness, right? We've already talked about how many, and you asked it. Display. How often have you clicked on a, dis- a, a truly na- di- you know display and bought something? You probably haven't, right? Because you're so used to thinking it is spam on a website that you're just trying to read something. But on LinkedIn, it's almost the same thing. On Facebook, it's the same thing. Every two to four posts is an ad these days. You're used to seeing them, and there is some sort of subconscious mindset of ignore this because it's not relevant or it's boring. So how do you grab the eye? How do you get them to want to take a look? How do you get them to want to read your ebook? It all comes down to various different tests and there's not a right answer. You know, James has talked about this with ebooks. Give them a lot of the nitty gritty already there. Don't hide it. Don't make it hard, right? And we're going to get into that a little bit more. We've talked about it a lot already. But at the end of the day, right, if you have some juicy details, your competition already knows it, so you might as well just put it out there instead of making them click a thousand. Right? This goes back to everything we're talking about. So don't be afraid to test within the channels now. And you don't have to run a test that you know wastes ten thousand dollars. You can do minute tests, like Andy said. We tested with five percent of our budget on this new little uh, could be creative testing, uh, audience testing, messaging testing. I mean, there's so many tests you can do. But it does come to a point, and there's a, there is a level there of don't test too much where it goes back to what we've talked about prior, the color button test, right? For most people, it's way irrelevant, probably not going to work. If you're already running thin, 
maybe changing is something as small as the CTA isn't the level you have to go down to. Because at the end of the day, if your ultimate goal is for them to register the, for a webinar, keep it as register. Don't try and trick them by doing learn more or something. At the end of the day, don't change things that don't need to change, but don't be afraid to think outside the box. As well as that goes down to don't try to be a trendsetter. I'm not saying you have to create a brand new TikTok dance, but at the end of the day, what is something no one else is doing in your industry on LinkedIn? Is there a type of ad that might be better fit for Facebook? Yeah, sure. Try it on LinkedIn. See how it responds. This is something that I was listening to Dave Gerhardt's podcast this morning. They were talking about UX, and I feel like it it really resonated with me as far as Focus on motivation rather than removing friction in your optimizations, because that's something that brands, quite frankly, they, they, they're they not doing, right? They're focused on removing form fields, doing this, but they're not refining their messaging. And I think that that's a big thing that we really need to look at, especially in this time of recession is like, how do you, like you were saying, how do you make yourself stand out? What is your unique selling point? Focus in on that messaging rather than like, how can we trick one more person into converting? And again, that's another, like that's demand gen versus demand capture at the end of the day. And that's what when paid social brands need to, to focus on doing more to kind of take a step back into where we are at with like recession budgets being cut, et cetera. The whole, in our notes here, we said like, you know, let's, let's not cut the testing budget keep the testing budget because that's what's going to allow you to to innovate as you move into Q4 and that's what's going to put you ahead of the competition who cut their testing budget because that's how it is. I I kind of talked a bit before about essentially I'll call it three different stages of marketing tests. You have stuff that's in the early test phase, you have stuff that's in the scale up phase and then you have stuff in the established phase, right? The first thing that ha- happens in these recession time periods is like everything goes into like focus all your budget in what what is already scaled up and that scale up period and that testing budget those are the ones that end up get getting diminished but those are also the ones that are causing you to innovate like what if you just did that with your product you're a software company and you're like ah we're running out of budget like our clients our prospects our uh, customers need xyz but we're going to cut the product roadmap and we're just going to keep it as it is like that's that's a that's a fast track to tanking a business into the ground. I think it works the same way from a marketing perspective. Now, I think you can be more strategic about those tests. Maybe don't. Um, again, I don't, you talked about using channels for what they're good for. Maybe now it's not the best time to start up a new channel from scratch and invest something that's like high investment with no outlook at all, right? But now is a really good time to refine your messaging message. Honestly, messaging tests don't cost any, I'm not going to say they don't cost any money. There's time resources, whatever, but they don't, (laughs) they don't cost nearly as much as, Hey, we're going to throw $50,000 in TikTok and see what happens. Right. Um, So that's where I would really focus if I did have to cut back, but still keep that area of testing. Don't stop innovating. Cause if you stop innovating, you're going to crash burn it. And like I said early on, at the end of the day, I've never seen a recession like right? It's going to end. It, inevitably, it has to. So are you going to be the one who has to play catch up, or are you going to be on the forefront of what's actually working? 
you've gone through all the optimization steps where your competition is at ground one, right? Ground zero, I guess you could say. So 2008 recession was 18 months long. You go year and a half. And I, I'm not going to guarantee anything in life, but I would assume it's not going to be watch me eat my word. But at the end of the day, right, this, this innovative, creative messaging, it all goes back to the same principles, right? Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to test things. And, and don't be afraid to break the mold. And that's really how you're going to, one, you're going to get seen, right? And then you use that data of who saw you and how they reacted with you to just improve yourself further, right? Back to a lot of what we've also talked about, and it's this next kind of topic, right? Remove barriers for learning. Um, one big thing, again, I've already mentioned literally right now, as well as we have in previous podcasts, James has mentioned it. You have an ebook, give the good details out front, right? Let's say this. Um, don't be afraid to put your information out there in social, whether it's an organic post in an ad, right? But once they get to the website to truly want to read more and download it, and this is a huge topic that's internally right now, and Andy, you've been kind of on the, a lot of the forefront of this as well, is gated versus ungated. Yeah, traditionally, everything's been gated because you want to capture that person, right? But again, it goes back to that capturing the lead versus creating demand. Um, so Andy, I know this is something, James as well, you've both um, been internally hot on gated versus ungated and how we pivot clients and others in the industry to take this more ungated approach. Yeah, I mean, going back to what James is saying about don't kill your testing budget and what you were saying, Zach, where messaging tests don't cost you anything. Well, what is an ungated content test going to cost you? Leads? Leads that aren't converting anyway, right? I mean, use a great example here. Let's say your best performing content converts, converts into a lead capture at 10%. If your targeting is foolproof and bulletproof to your ICP, that means that 90% of your target market did not convert versus if you give the details up front and ungate the content, that means 100% of your market is now able to see the value of what you're providing. And hopefully it's inclusive of the USPs that ultimately drive that person to now have demand created on behalf of your brand within their organization. Doesn't mean you have to abandon all gated content, like demos, free trials, all that stuff at the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, you're going to have to gate that because there's a sales handoff there at some point. Um, but as you move up funnel, take 5%, take 10% of your campaigns and go ungated, right? Or even 5 to 10% of your audiences. Let's say you have three primary audiences. We'll take one of those and scale it up in the sense of go through it, same funnel, same content as you would on the other two audiences, but ungate everything, right? Ungate it and see what happens. What's the harm? You just don't have as many leads being captured. Again, back to the point, you're realigning, you're pivoting, you're evaluating what you're doing in H1 into H2 for a reason. These have no downsides besides testing and learning that ultimately are going to affect the growth trajectory of Q4 and beyond. So that's, that's an easy way to think about it from an ungated content perspective if you are so entrenched in this gate-first mentality. Well, one thing as well, I know there's been this kind of mindset as well that people in the past also gated things to keep their competition from seeing the secret sauce or what does this ebook say or what is this white paper about? In today's world, we talked about this in another podcast, and I keep alluding to our other podcasts because we really they all really tell a story. But at the end of the day, people aren't coming to your website for reasons. 
Now, if they happen to get to your website because you had an ebook that actually intrigued them, if they're in the research phase, they don't want to give you their information yet. So you've already lost that person who could, two steps down the line, be your next best customer. Maybe they're the biggest one of, you know, quarter three that happens, right? Some sales guy is going to be super stoked. But if you lose them at that simple thing of during their research phase, you've lost them probably for a little bit because, again, it goes back to they're not ready to talk to you yet. They're still wanting to determine if this is the right place. So give them that information. Let them know what you can offer them or whatever your topic is. If it's an industry report, give them those details. Don't make it hard to find those details. I'll also argue that at this point, marketing can nurture them better than your sales team can. Dang. Like you, you throw them on a, they become part of a retargeting list. You serve them uh, additional content that feeds off of each other versus having an SDR rep call them every Monday morning, trying to come up with creative headlines to get them on a call. Like you're just wait. I mean, you're wasting the salesperson's time. This also goes back to the clean data thing in the beginning. Like we're talking about MQLs that never close. Go look at your data and tell me, tell me how much time of your salespeople you wasted reaching out to these ebook leads. Would you like, I, there's still a ton of that. There's still value in creating ebooks. There's still value in breaking that down into video, LinkedIn, con- ad content, all of that's there, but instead of like taking that nurturing piece and throwing it at your salesperson, why would you not just add them in a retargeting campaign where you can reach that same person on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Connected TV, ABM, all of those. <laughs> but that's 10 different channels. You could be where they are everywhere and you can continue to serve them different educational content, different messaging in different formats and Trust me, if, if they get served enough of that and you solve a problem that they have, like they will come and buy from you. The difference is, is that they will come in at the bottom of the funnel rather than waste uh, SDR reps time. Oh, good point. And this kind of brings us to really one of our last ideas of how do we resolve this, issue, right? Um, and it's realigned messaging. And this is one that I think a lot of business owners, operation managers, CMOs, doesn't matter your high-end title, but it's taking your brand guidelines or your traditional brand understanding and realigning it to what people are honestly saying about you. What are your customers saying? What do the reviews say about you, whether that is a third-party site or let's say it's an internal NPS, whatever it is, how do you realign yourself through these levels? Um, and Andy, I know this is something that we are actively dealing with all the time. Is and James, you know this is quite as well. Is we have these companies who again are trying to either be disruptors, or they have a lot of money, or let's say they're in these com- competitive markets that they're like, we have to be on point. Well, do you? What are people honestly saying? To your point, Zach, it goes back to what is the qualitative data that's going to reinforce and validate whether the USP that you're Walking out the front door is actually what people care about. I mean, I, I've been on recent calls too uh, with a variety of prospects and clients. And one of my questions is like, what is your USP? Literally, it's on our client questionnaire because if you can't define what you do best, how am I going to market for you? How am I going to craft a strategy? What is your elevator pitch? If you can't give me that in 600 characters or less, how the hell am I going to write copy for you? How the hell am I going to write any kind of ads for you or really define a strategy that's going to hit your bottom line? So. Asking yourself in this time period, you're talking about a realignment, a pivot, everything else. What is your actual USP? Like sit down, do a tri storm, a five whys, whatever you want to do it, six sigma, you know, ass backwards kind of process, and ask your brand 
and ultimately yourself, what is our unique selling points? And then validate that or not validate it through your customer research. And then test and learn it through your messaging, right? You have the data at your fingertips. It's just a matter of collecting it and using it to your advantage. Now's the opportunity to do that because again, long-term opportunities are going to present themselves for taking advantage of what you test and learn today, six months from now, a year from now, et cetera. But literally ask yourself that question. What is our USP? If I can't answer that, then we have a problem and we got to go back to like the founder and the CEO of why did you ever create this company and, and use that as a jumping off point because clearly you've scaled to this point because of that individual and what that, that person brought to the table. Now you have to revisit it and really uncover, well, is that still the storyline? Is that still the through line? Is it still whole present today? And is our customer service team, is our sales team, is our marketing team really aligned in that messaging across that entire journey? One way as well is you may actually understand your USP. At the end of the day, you may truly have a good understanding of where it is. And maybe this is what the foundation of the company was founded on, built on, why they built this software or piece of anything, right? What is that what's actually resonating? Yes, you may offer, and I'm just going to say this, money savings or time savings like everyone in the world. But why did you know Jim Bob Technologies choose you over, let's say, your competition? That might not actually align. And so sometimes, and this isn't anything that we were initially even talking about, sometimes actually talking to your customers and saying, if you were to tell me what my selling points to you are, what are they, right? Now, you can't do this with every customer. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it'll at least give you an understanding of maybe do I need to realign the foundations that we are even selling ourselves as now? The world has changed, and even post-pandemic, if that's even where we're at, some you know, depending on where you're at, right? The world has evolved a lot. Things have gone digital in ways that almost no one foresaw 10 years ago. So maybe you also need to change. Maybe your core foundations, now you may still have these in the back of your head as the root and the true foundation, but what your selling points are, what people actually care about now, that may honestly change. And again, you shouldn't take that in a bad way. What you should take that as is, hey, here's our new way of testing out there on these channels, trying to find new audiences. Is audience X going to respond to this USP versus this one, right? You don't know until you actually try. And then all of this kind of goes back to this whole circle, this 360 view of innovate, don't be afraid to take risks, but then also Utilize the data after you've cleaned it up. You've cleaned it. It's very key there. After you've cleaned it. And part of that, you can go back to it, cleaning up the data is almost re-understanding your data. And I think that's a key thing that maybe we didn't necessarily touch on too much, but re-understanding who the heck you are in today's world. And that really correlates with what we're talking about now. Realigning messaging isn't physically just going into your next LinkedIn ad and testing copy A, copy B, copy C. Sometimes it truly is all the way down to the foundations of the company itself to really set a new precedence going forward. That got really deep, and I didn't mean to get that deep. I'll sum it up in three words. Analyze, iterate, action. Ache. A-I-C. We're all aching right now, but don't forget ache. There we go. I'm going to create stickers. Ache. 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 Ache.
Well, no, we've touched on a lot. And at the end of the day, as I'm sure a lot of people are, are hearing right now, is there's not a, an answer. There's ideas and there's suggestions that we have, but there's not a true rooted answer. Because at the end of the day, your business is your business and you should understand. But especially thank you, Andy, for being here and, and James, of course. We've given our opinions on how you should maybe tread these next quarters. Hopefully it only lasts the next quarter. That's what we all pray for. We all pray, of course, that we don't have more layoffs. But if you have to, how do you make those decisions? What do you look at? And again, only you can answer it. But I do hope this has been helpful to all of our listeners who are trying to, how do we realign ourselves for these next quarters? As always, James, Andy, are there any final touches that you feel we haven't touched on yet that you would like to throw in here? James is shaking his head no. So I'll take that as a as a cue that cool. I don't have any either. But no, thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Again, thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Digital Banter. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are uploaded every Friday. In the meantime, keep up with the show by following James and Zach on social media. Links are in the show notes.